This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Our next uh, session is going to be uh, also different, and we're going to look at music therapy. This is something that came from our planning and advisory committee, and uh, a family that I work with recommended uh, our next speaker, so I'm really excited to hear. Pierre Brennan is a board-certified music therapist. Uh, he's a board-certified behavior analyst and the founding director of Behavioral Rhythms and a developmental coach at the Autism Center of Northern California. He received his master's degree in neurologic music therapy from Colorado State University and has a bachelor's degree from UCLA in physiologic science with additional studies in ethnomusicology. As a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, he collaborated with UNICEF, the Safe Motherhood and Child Survival Project, and studied the drumming culture of Konkamba warrior tribe. Pierre, please join us. All right, great. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. you know, earlier Dennis and Matthew were talking about inspiration, and it made me think back when I was in elementary school, they actually brought me into, um, had me spend some time in a, in a classroom with children with special needs and developmental disabilities. And I had no idea, you know, later my entire career would be based on that experience. So it's, um, it's incredible, you know, you plant a seed and you have no idea how that's going to develop over time. So yeah, inspiration is such an important component to all this. Um, so let me get the, uh, yeah, here we go. So after college, I needed some inspiration. So I took the logical step of g- going to, uh, live in an isolated village in the middle of Africa. <laughs> uh, so my background is in physiology and I also studied, uh, ethnomusicology, the study of musical culture. So I thought I could join the Peace Corps, work on uh, community health issues, and also study the musical culture of an African tribe. Um, when I went to Togo, I said, I really want to study, um, I want to live with a, a culture that is uh, kind of like the most pure culture, and they said, we know exactly where you need to go. Um, it's one village in the north, uh, Kijabun, and uh, the tribe that lived in that area was a warrior tribe. Um, if you look down at Lome, down on the coast there, and there's a nice uh, red line that goes straight up uh, through the north, and the road is actually going to go kind of head toward Basar and kind of go through Garankuka near where that red arrow is. But the Kokomba lived there, so when the Germans brought their first uh, battalion through, they were able to uh, you know, make all the different uh, chiefs in all these villages going up, you know, they would give them alcohol, and they said, sure, this, that sounds great, keep on going. When they uh, landed in, in the area of the Kokomba, they refused to participate in anything that they had to offer, so um, they wiped out that first battalion with their poison arrows. The Germans brought another battalion through, and they wiped those out, uh, wiped all of them out, too, as well. So now the road actually goes... Uh, it goes to the right in Kara and cuts over. So it, that whole region doesn't have any 
Um, they, they don't get supplies. There are no roads, no electricity. Um, I've recently sp- spoken to a friend um, in, in the capital, and, I, and he says, we have cell phones now. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And he said, uh, I'm like, how do you charge it, though? He's like, car batteries. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So they have cell phones, but no electricity. And when I was in, uh, in a village, it was uh, 700 people, all one family. Uh, essentially, one, uh, the story goes that one man flew over the land, and he saw a good water source, and so he landed there and took on probably eight, seven to eight wives and had 40 kids, and two or three generations later, you have a, a village of 700, all one family, and... Um, People would find their, you know, husbands would find their wives from outside villages, um, like during farmers markets. One thing I discovered, and you know, talk about inspiration. When all the adults would go off to the fields and work, all the kids would come to the white guy's house. Uh, they once again, the Kokomba were very hesitant to send their children to school. Anything that had to do with white people. One time, uh, we were all sitting under a tree and. Uh, they, they said Okanja was the word for white man and we're sitting there and about, I'm about a year into my service there and they were talking about Okanja I'm like come on guys my name is Pierre and they're like oh no 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 we're talking about the government I'm like oh white man and the government is the same word I got it um, so um, but one thing I realized when I was um, in that village are children are like sponges they're just ready to learn. And we, uh, as professionals, you know, we have to figure out a way to connect with them. And music is such a great way to connect uh, with people. There's a famous ethnomusicologist, John Blacking, who talked about the different functions of music. Oftentimes in the West, music tends to be more of, uh, it's like of entertainment. We watch videos on YouTube, and we have, I have my entire music catalog on my phone, which is amazing. Um, you know, we go to concerts, but every time we watch movies, there's music in the background. But also we can make music. In Africa, it, it wasn't something, it, wasn't, um, it was something that everyone participated in, in music making. Every, every uh, male in the village could play drums amazingly well. When I first came into my village, I brought a little tiny drum I bought in the capital, uh, a little tiny djembe drum. That was actually the first time they ever saw a djembe drum. I actually introduced an African djembe drum to an African village, which was odd. Um, but, uh, and I kind of played my little rhythm. And I went back into the house, and here's a four-year-old boy, and they started playing my exact rhythm that I was playing. And I've been playing drums for, you know, 17 years. I thought it was pretty decent, and here's a little boy totally uh, playing exactly what I did, and they're all laughing. They're like, oh, here's the the white guy's rhythm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so. And so um, this um, this picture was taken during a... uh, in the sacred forest uh, during a rain dance. Actually, I didn't know where this forest was. It was about a year and a half into my, um, my time there when they actually showed, showed me where it was. And you can see in the middle, they have this huge drum, and that drum just echoes. From, you can hear that for miles, actually. When, when they have a dance like this, you can hear it for miles around. 
and there's uh, some circles, like in, in the middle is all the women, and it goes by height, so the tallest woman all the way down to little girls um, at the end, and, and there's uh, also a circle of men, and they're singing, and the drum's going on at the same time. It's a pretty amazing thing. When there's uh, funerals, which are uh, celebrations, if someone's old enough and had uh, a family, um, this will go on for three days. If someone passes, uh, the Kokomba will launch uh, like a huge explosion. Like you'll hear it from like five miles away first thing in the morning, and that means that no one does anything for three days. So imagine if all of a sudden you got something on your phone and said, you know, someone passed away in this village, and you don't have you're just going to gather with all your friends for the next three days, and no one's going to go to work. Um, so um, in this village, life came before work. And, and in terms of inspiration, you know, I really thought about just the power of music and how music can unify people. Um, but there's also many different function, functions of music, and you use music to teach as well as c- to connect with others. So let's talk about music therapy here. Music therapy is the clinical and evidence-based use of musical interventions to accomplish individualized goals within a therapeutic relationship by a credentialed professional who has completed an improved music therapy program. Sometimes when I tell people I'm a music therapist, they say, music is so therapeutic, and I totally agree. Music is incredibly therapeutic. But a a music therapist has some extra uh, skills, and a knowledge base to really use music in a therapeutic way to address non-musical goals, non-musical behavioral goals. Some things that are not music therapy, uh, there's auditory integration therapy, um, and this was developed in France in the 90s. And this now goes under different names, but essentially at the core of it is taking music, especially modified music, and removing certain frequencies, and children listen to these for uh, you know, 30-minute sessions. Uh, and, and there was actually a uh, little machine that would do this, and the United States actually banned this machine because it does, it's just, it, there's no evidence to support support its use. Um, Here's a quote from the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, despite approximately one decade of practice in this country. This method has not met scientific standards for efficacy and safety that would justify its inclusion as a mainstream treatment for these disorders. So speech therapists are um, not ethically allowed to uh, use this type of therapy. In addition, the American Academy of Audiology American Academy of Pediatrics, Educational Audiology Association, and the New York State Department of Health also um, say that you know, there's not enough evidence to show that this, use, that, that this is effective. But it's still, a lot of people still use it. Um, but it is not music therapy. So one music therapy technique uh, that's used um, so uh, Gabrielle Giffords, she was a United States representative from Arizona who was uh, tragically shot. And in order to get her speech back, uh, she worked with a music therapist and they used melodic intonation therapy. And melodic intonation therapy is used in the rehabilitation of express- expressive aphasia. So, and it's, and melodic intonation therapy is a combination of some uh, physical cues, like tapping, humming, singing, 
chanting and then eventually speaking. So music was, uh, really helped her to be able to speak again. So let's talk about music therapy and working with individuals with developmental disabilities and my personal specialty is uh, autism. So, um, so music therapy, there are some uh, goal areas, uh, social communication, um, so you can teach uh, different language concepts. Also, emotional regulation. Uh, you know, some of the clients I work with, um, you know, they're not always in a good mood. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, a lot of us are, you know, we might need a certain song to kind of cheer us up, uh, <laughs> like we heard this morning. And music has an incredible ability to just... Um, put us in a different emotional uh, place. Um, also, maybe if you know, people are sad, they listen to sad music. They really want to kind of really fully feel, uh, you know, fully feel that emotional experience. Um, so music has an um, inc- incredible amount of... Music can be used in so many different ways. You can use it to uh, target social communication, emotional regulation, also motor movement. You can use music to teach various motor skills. We have some pre-academic skills, academic skills, the ABC song. If that ABC song wasn't around, we probably wouldn't know the entire alphabet. <laughs> uh, you know, numbers, colors. Um, I'm thinking of the hokey pokey, you know. When there's music and movement involved and you're saying what you're doing, it, it resonates with people. Um, uh, some cognitive, cognitive skills, you know, I'm just thinking about that 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS. If that song wasn't part of that commercial, I would not know that phone number. But because of the jingle, we all know that phone number. Um, um, and there's also musical goals as well. So uh, music instruction, music making, sharing that experience with other people. So music as an intrinsically rewarding experience. Music is, for, for a lot of people, just it really gets them excited. Um, you, know, you, you, you know, some of these kids, I just bring out this big drum and they start playing on it and it's, they're just so happy with it. And once I have their attention and they're playing the drum, now it's a point of contact and I can really connect with them. And now I can bring in, maybe, you know, we can do Old MacDonald Had a Farm and bring in different objects and start bringing some language concepts in there and maybe start targeting some social communication goals as well. And going back to my African experience, that drum in the center, it can be very powerful. It's kind of as a visual... Um, it's almost like a visual cue, and it's kind of setting up the environment. And also, in the Kokomba, uh, in the Kokomba dances, people would move around the drum. I've also found that you know, moving around the drum can be very organizing for a lot of the kids that I work with. Enhanced perceptual functioning. When I was in college, I, I remember going to uh, the sculpture garden and seeing this enormous sculpture of an eyeball. It was huge. And my friend said, if your eyes were that big, would you see more? And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, would you see more? But I think for a lot of children uh, with autism specifically, they are able to see more, maybe hear more, or maybe hear less, or only certain frequencies. Um, or their, their sensory system is just designed in a different way. Um, so the, the next video I have here is a young child with autism, and 
it's, from my perspective, it's, it really seems like he is hearing more. I have an instrument called a vibratone. Um, so it's not, I don't know, if the, just more of a noisemaker. We're not really uh, playing songs based off of the uh, vibratone, but sometimes I'll use that instrument to really capture the child's attention. And sometimes I'll hit, play the vibratone and a mom might peek, peek, peek in into the other room and say, like, what is that? That is so cool. Sometimes the parents are more interested than the kids. Uh, but let me show you a, a quick little video here. So it almost looks like we're not moving, but he is hitting that and he's listening to it very intensely. So just the sensory experience of sound can be, it can, can really draw the attention of the child uh, into the moment. And then from there, now we're going to add music on top of that. So if they're already very um, attuned to the sound, now music can be even more of a motivating uh, experience. And it could capture their attention. Joint attention is pivotal in language, play, and social development. Once again, you know, that drum being kind of the point of contact where you can re- relate uh, with other people, maybe even non-verbally uh, at first, you know, just through music, musical expression. In my practice, I also use uh, lots of visual support, lots of photographs, picture symbols, written words, which enhance the child's active participation and understanding. Pictures can be very powerful in the song Slippery Fish. We have Slippery fish swimming through the water there and gets eaten by a tuna fish. And in between all of these, the, the, the song goes on and it stops and you, you put your hands up to your mouth and you say, oh no, it's been eaten by, there's a tuna fish, there's a shark. So there's multiple opportunities to kind of practice this, um, these gestures and once the child, once, become, uh, once they become familiar with the patterning of the song, they're more likely to do that gesture. Like, it becomes familiar that, you know, they're saying, I know how the song works, and now is the moment that I'm supposed to do this. Especially, I, can, I might kind of withhold one of the pictures. Uh, so we'll get to the shark, or maybe we'll get to the octopus, and we'll stop. And now the child knows, oh no, as soon as he says, oh no, now the song can can continue once again. There's the enormous whale. Uh, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. Uh, kids love this one. Uh, there's the fly. Uh, I'm not sure if, all, uh, if you guys remember this song, but we have the lady swallowed the fly, and then she swallowed the spider, and then the bird, and the cat, and the dog, and the goat cow all the way over to the horse, at which point the uh, old lady falls over and dies. <laughs> remember one time I had a father, uh, you know, I did the song with the child, and you know, kids, they don't, from my 
perspective, it doesn't really seem like they're understanding what dying means. It's just kind of a funny thing, and the old lady magically comes back to life. But I remember a father one time leaning in, like, what are you teaching my child? <laughs> Sometimes, as I think adults, we tend to overthink uh, uh, lyrics and songs. Uh, music can be used as a reinforcer. I, would ha- I have uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, the theme song on my iPhone. And I'm, if I'm working with a child, and it's a really challenging child, he's just not really focused on anything, that's my go-to. I play Thomas the Tank Engine, and just all of a sudden he freezes. He's like, what? Do you, you know something. How, where is that music coming from? And then I'll stop it. I'm like, oh, maybe you know, we'll sit in the chair. And now he might be more apt to, I'll stop, stop the song as soon as... Um, kind of he does what I want him to do, then the music continues. I can use music as a reinforcer to guide and shape his behavior. So in addition to being a music therapist, I'm also a behavior analyst. Sorry. Uh, But I refer to myself as a developmental behaviorist. Um, ABA is powerful, but I think sometimes that uh, it's easy to overlook Develop, the developmental aspect of, um, of children uh, growing up. Um, what's great about music, it's, it's an experience that's just very natural and can happen in the moment. So it's not so much of a checklist kind of thing where I'm just going taking data constantly. But I can use the principles of ABA in a more natural way, in a fun way. So ABA is based on B.F. Skinner's operating conditioning with our antecedent, our behavior, and our consequence. So in this situation, I'm using music as a consequence. The Farmer and the Dell was one of the first uh, kind of musical interventions I created uh, at, at my intern- uh, internship, actually at UCSF in the autism clinic. And I apologize for the song. I've heard this song thousands of times. Children love this. So essentially, I'll play the song, and then each of these pieces are little felt pieces. Um, and then I'll lay out, you know, the farmer, the wife, the child, the nurse, and go all the way down and repeat it a couple times so the child sees what's going on and the music kind of really draws them in. Here, let me play the song here. The farmer in the dill, the farmer in the dill. Hi ho the dairy, oh the farmer in the dill. The farmer takes a wife. And, and once again, you know, just the song repeats over and over and over again. It's, it's a very, um, it's the same song every time. So it's something familiar that this, the child can really latch on to. And what's amazing about this simple song is that, you know, I can lay out all these pieces, teaching, sequencing, and then I might uh, kind of hide. Maybe I might hide the dog or maybe place it across the room. And for a child with autism, they might have a hard time you know, kind of following my line of vision. But if they're motivated by this and they want the pattern, uh, a lot lot of the children um, with autism have this need to complete. So if the song stops in the middle, uh, if the song stops in the middle, they're going to want to try to do whatever it takes to make the song continue. Um, So I might hide, you know, the, the dog in a certain corner of the room and you know, where, where's the dog? Teach the language. Where's the dog? Uh, oh, it's over there. Maybe initially I point my point to it. Uh, maybe it's nearby, and then further point, further away, or maybe just use my eyes and kind of just use this. Um, it's kind of you know, you target some of these social communication goals. 
uh, in the middle of the song. With, uh, once again, kids are so inspirational. At the end of the song, the cheese stands alone. And, you know, I always ask the kids, you know, why does the cheese stand alone? And this one kid said, it's because it's food. I'm like, oh, right. He's like, yeah, the, the people and animals and the food is different. So they, it's food, the cheese stands alone. Another thing that I do with this farm in the Dell is I might hand, hold one of the pieces in my hands. You know, what is it? Maybe have the child guess. It has four legs, and it says meow. Is it a cat? You know, really kind of uh, modeling the language, teaching the language, and then generalizing that language to other real-life experiences outside of the, the farmer in the Dell experience. And uh, rhythm, uh, used as a temporal cue. So rhythm and timing are important in motor learning. Uh, The video I believe I'm going to show next is of a child with cerebral palsy. And we we go back to the idea of, you know, sometimes if someone's blind, they can hear better. Or, you know, some of the the kids that I work with and individuals I work with, they might have particular uh, disabilities, but they have incredible strengths. I have one child who is an incredible uh, savant. He has a hard time putting one Velcro strap on a shoe, but can play anything on the piano in any key that you want, forwards and backwards. He's never been taught any of this. He can do this Baroque bass pattern in his left hand. It's completely amazing. Um, But uh, coming back to this, you know, the rhythm can really drive uh, different patterns of, of, um, of motor learning and really drive the ability to kind of maybe just use your fingers or maybe in gait training. So here's a video, and I'm just using a really simple rhythm at the keyboard. And initially, it was really challenging for him to, uh, to move his fingers in a synchronized way, in a patterned way, um, but over time... He was able to. Um, he was able to do this. This um, this child also had perfect pitch. It was pretty amazing. I would play a chord. He would be able to identify each note in that chord, all three notes in the chord. If I played a seventh chord, added a fourth note, he's like, "Wait, something's different." Because you're playing, and he would let me know what note I was playing. So he would be able to hear four notes simultaneously. It's pretty amazing. Once again, the, the, the rhythm is providing a temporal cue to drive his motor movements and the music being motivating for him. Uh, the rhythm and music can also be used in gait rehabilitation. Uh, when I went to grad school, uh, Dr. Tout does a lot of work on this uh, with Parkinson's patients, and they've shown that uh, music and rhythm can improve step cadence, stride length, symmetry, and velocity. Over time, so essentially, someone might have a hard time, you know, walking uh, in a coordinated way, and you know, you start listening to New York, New York, and next thing you know, you kind of start where they're at. Uh, you, you know, you use the song New York, New York, and they kind of you know, they start in a place that matches their current movement, and slowly increase the tempo to a point where their their uh, gait is improved uh, remarkably. The impelling and anticipatory nature of rhythm promotes speech. 
and music promotes uh, music facilitates non-propositional speech. You know, when, when I'm working, I was just working with a child a couple of days ago, and I was using "Old MacDonald Had a Farm," uh, and I, you know, "Old MacDonald Had a Farm." All of a sudden, the, here's a child who doesn't really speak, and e i e i o, he knows that pattern. Just the rhythm and the music, kind of just almost, he must have that uh, just that need to complete. He must have fill in the gaps there. It's the patterning of music that really helps us to chunk that information and make sense of it. Structure and patterning in music can direct attention toward language, concepts, and social behavior. And this was this uh, same child that I was working with. Once again, I had about two sessions. Pretty challenging. Not much vocal participation on his part. And, you know, then I busted out Bingo. It's a great song. Uh, it's amazing how, you know, some of these songs just really um, motivate kids. So I started playing Bingo, and all of a sudden he started, you know, beating the drum, the, the B-I-N-G-O. He got that and started verbally participating with the drum in front of him, encouraged it. Next thing I know, I tried the old McDonald had a farm. He started singing that. We started sharing, uh, we started singing um, uh, you know, just different songs, the lyrics back and forth. He was filling in the gaps. And the next thing you know, we're talking about the window in my, in my office. And that's a big window. Yeah, the smaller window. So we, the music was, it really uh, was the spark that, you know, create, that helped to create this conversation back and forth. Like I met him where he was at. He, you know, possibly his, his, his world is fairly chaotic. So music really brought some order to it. And, you know, using a simple song like Bingo just really made sense to him. And that was something that he could, something that we could share together. And that encouraged his vocal participation. Simon Baron Cohen talks about uh, individuals with autism and they prefer pattern or rule-oriented structures and have difficulties with systems that require a high degree of change. And that's what music is. It's just a repeating pattern. You know, Old MacDonald had a farm. Bingo. Uh, you know, the farmer in the dell. These songs, they just cycle. You know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. Uh, it's amazing how many children know that song. And it's just the same song that repeats over and over. You can change the words and sing in 20 different ways. And, you know, children will be, remain engaged in that song because that's something that they're drawn, uh, drawn toward and something that they're familiar with. There's another example of a, this old man using props, you know, teaching numbers. Once again, I could maybe hide some of these pieces, uh, you know, have it nearby, teaching some pointing gestures, or maybe have the child file my uh, line of vision to some of these objects. And I could stop the song in the middle and just really draw the attention to maybe a, spe- a specific language concept and then continue the song. And then, you know, maybe this old man might have a conversation or he might feel sad about something. Um, yeah, you know, these props are incredible. And this old man, it's a pretty long song. It's 10 verses in the song. And once again, just repeats over and over again. Sometimes when I reach 10, kids are like, oh, why only 10? Let's, let's keep on going. <laughs> uh, the rapid temporal processing hypothesis. So I'm, I'm going a little bit... Um, so my, once again, my, my focus, my personal focus is uh, working with children with autism. 
And uh, let's see, the rapid temporal processing hypo- uh, hypothesis says uh, speech perception relies on higher temporal resolution of complex stimuli, making the deficit in autism a, d- a timing problem where slower, repetitive sounds like in music remain intact. And it goes back, here's a, a talking drum. There's a, and someone... Uh, from Kijabun playing a talking drum. Now, with this drum, they're actually able to talk with it. So they, uh, since these language or languages are tonal, they're able to say things on the drum. They could say my name. They could say different things about me. So there might be a talking drum player in the marketplace uh, with his talking drum, and he would be able to sing praises to someone sitting by him or maybe insult someone sitting a little bit further away, and people will literally understand what he's saying. So once again, making that connection with language and music. Both music and, and speech use pitch, timing, and timbre. And they've actually done some research that shows that the training on a musical instrument changes subcortical encoding of speech patterns and can improve how speech and noise is heard. Music and language share underlying cognitive and neural mechanisms. Auditory processing structures in the brain respond in similar ways to both speech and music. So there's a lot of overlap between, um, there's a lot of overlap in the way that speech and music um, is processed in the brain and perceived. So in language, we have words as discrete elements and they're combined to form sentences. In music, we have individual and simultaneous tones in the form of intervals and chords uh, which combine to form meaningful musical phrases. There's some additional similarities in music and language. We have phenomes, basic sound units, syntax, how uh, sound units are organized, semantics, meaning that is assigned to sound sequences, and pragmatics, rules that define effective communicative interactions. So my particular interest was in syntax. A syntax, the set of principles that governs the combination of discrete elements into meaningful and structural sequences. It's cognitive processing of structural relations between events. There was a story, uh, uh, story. there was a study, uh, Ami Klin, back in 1991 and 92, and essentially what they did, what, what he did, he had a teddy bear, and on this teddy bear had a couple buttons. When a child pushed one of the buttons, they would, um, he would be able to hear the voice of his mother reading a story. When the child pushed the other button, he would hear a bunch of like, random sounds in a bar, just like random noise. Um, you, know, you can't really hear one particular voice, but just it's kind of a, yeah, a, a crowd situation, the noise of a crowd. And what they found was children with autism either didn't show, any, um, didn't show a preference for either, or they showed a preference for the noise of the crowd, whereas typically developing children and children with intellectual disability preferred their mother's voice. So I was wondering, why is that happening? And I was thinking, perhaps there might be, there might be uh, deficits in the syntactic processing and our culture influences syntactic development. So, you know, 
people will have a preference. You know, someone raised in a particular culture will have a preference for the music from that culture as well as the language from that culture. So I thought that if I took an, an African song that was similar, I, uh, it, it was similar um, in tempo, orchestration, and form to an American children's song that a child with autism if, should, should not show a preference for either of those types of music. If their syntactic development is, uh, if there's deficits in, in, with their language, then the same should be true for music, since there's a lot of overlap between those two regions. Between those two, um, let's see here. And, but I didn't find that, and which is good and bad. Um, it was puzzling because I was thinking if a child with autism doesn't show a preference for his, his native um, language, then why does he show a preference for American children's music? And as you can see on the graph, the children with autism and typically developing is almost identical. Children with intellectual disability even showed a stronger preference for American children's music. The song that I used was uh, The Green Grass Grew All Around. Essentially, I had two buttons. You push one button, and they would get 10 seconds of one type of music, and the music would stop, and they would choose you know, the same button or the other button. And then I would change the uh, location of the buttons during the study. It was uh, six children in the group. And then I came across the Shared Syntactic Integration Resource Hypothesis, which, which uh, made sense to me. So essentially what this says is that syntax is processed in a shared system in the frontal parts of the brain, but then it splits off to musical representations and linguistic representations which are separate. So someone might be able to process, the, uh, process syntax uh, in music, but not process, sorry. So if a, if a child is not, if a child is not um, attending to language, then they're not going to make, they're not going to build up that knowledge base of language. But music is on a separate track, so that might not be affected. So a child with autism who doesn't pick up on uh, the syntax in language, they might pick up on the syntax in music. And there's actually uh, recent research showing that the processing of music and linguistic syntax interact in Broca's area, in that shared area. Syntactic deficits in the study appear to be domain-specific, implicating linguistic syntactic representations rather than shared syntactic processes. So the issue here isn't the syntactic the processing of syntax. It's because that seems to be intact because the children are uh, processing musical syntax but not processing the linguistic syntax. So they're, sh they're storing that musical information but not storing the uh, linguistic information. So music's a language that a lot of children with autism understand.
And a couple other things here. Music as a mnemonic device. You know, I talked about that 1-800-CARS-FOR-KIDS commercial and uh, the ABC song. Listening to music recruits attention and working memory circuits. And music training improves verbal memory. Verbal learning with a musical template incre- uh, increases neuronal synchronization and approves, uh, uh, imp- I said, improves verbal memory. So once again, music is a way to chunk information to make it more accessible to, to learn and to remember. Also, music can be used as symbolic communication. For some of these uh, children that I work with, they have a hard time with uh, conversations, the back-and-forth exchange of ideas. So I might designate one instrument, let's say a drum. That will be the, the narration instrument, the kind of making, making comments instrument. Or I might, and then I, I might include a xylophone, and that's the question instrument. So initially, we'll have a nonverbal uh, conversation, a musical conversation. So I'll kind of play on the, the drum a little bit and then maybe ask a couple, a couple questions. And we'll go back and forth like that. It's very motivating for the child. And then talk about what that meant. You know, how, how many comments did we make? How many questions did we ask? Um, are we asking enough questions? Um, so initially, we're just using music as a way to, uh, to communicate. And then we can add some processing to that take away the music, and then work on just having a, a conversation. So music is being used as a way to kind of, music is being used as a way to help a child understand that back and forth exchange of ideas. And also music as a social experience. My personal frustration with um, being a behavior analyst is I've seen... Um, it's sometimes the case where it's more of a top-down kind of thing in, in ABA. You know, I'm going to ask you a question, you're going to respond. I'm going to ask you a question, you're going to respond. And we have a whole list of all these questions we have to get through before the session's over. But from my experience, and I've discovered that if, if there's always just questions, always probing questions happening, it kind of takes, it takes away the inspiration of, of some of these kids to initiate on their own. So communication is a two-way street. If it was always, you know, people needed to respond to questions all the time, maybe it kind of shuts down that ability to, to have that back-and-forth exchange. And what's great about music is that music allows us to, to have that back-and-forth uh, emotional experience. And this last video I want to show you is of a child, and I was kind of wearing my ABA hat, and I was working on something very specific before. As I was putting away the drum, he's, this child with autism loves playing this drum. Um, he could probably do it all day. Um, so we started playing it, and then I started using that as an opportunity to just kind of go with the moment and just kind of um, just really enjoy that back-and-forth uh, exchange of uh, musical ideas. And then I was also started to play some eye contact games. So I was hiding behind the drum, having him follow my eyes, moving to different sides of the drum, behind the drum. And then I was able to use the rhythm of the drum to really accent some language concepts. I think initially he says, um, that's a great song. Uh, so I tried to, I'm like, yeah, it is a great song, but this is fun. 
And I think there's a point where he says, that is fun. I try to correct him and say, this is fun. And I'm playing it on the drum like, this is fun. And then he does it back and forth. We play some more music. And then I bring back that idea, this is fun, driving home that language concepts, uh, driving home that, 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 that language, um, or just that phrase, just kind of teaching him that phrase in that moment. And so it's something meaningful to him and it makes sense to him. And then he was able to generalize that phrase into other environments after this experience here. And we can you know, jump ahead here a minute. It's a little bit of a long clip. That's good. Issue with the sound there? Oh, oh, why not? Well, without the sound, it's kind of tough to see. (laughs) (laughs) So essentially, it goes back and forth here. And then I start playing the rhythm, you know, this is fun. And then he repeats it back and forth. And we kind of get that idea. Then I go into just some more playful, uh, you know, communication going back and forth, uh, you know, sharing that moment sharing that experience, and then bringing back the idea of this is fun, and then eventually I'll say this is fun without playing it on the drum. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.